Amen. You may be seated today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 13. We've been in this series, Irresistible Love, and I want to remind you, it's based on a book by Andy Stanley, and I don't spend a lot of time typically recommending books, but it is an incredible book that kind of takes you through the old covenant into the new covenant, what the, the followers of Jesus Christ were all about, so that we can have irresistible love in us, but we can have irresistible love flowing out of us and change the world in which we live in. And I began talking over the last several weeks about things that I think are irresistible or things that I think people are, think are irresistible. Like one of the things that right now in my life is the most irresistible thing is my grandbaby. Today she is seven. Yeah, she's seven days old today, and I'm counting days, and so we'll, I don't know when it's going to go to months, and then it'll go to years, but pretty excited about that. But something I mentioned a couple weeks ago are puppies. There are some of you that you're very, puppies are very irresistible for you. In fact, Pam and I have noticed when we walked around with them that, that people come up to us and talk to us, people that would never talk to us normally. We'll go out of their way and say, oh, what's, tell us about the dog. What are they? They're Aussie doodles. Oh, how old are they? They're 12 weeks. Oh, all this stuff. And, and so today I thought, because I think that some of you think this are, these are irresistible, and I do too, that I bring my uh, puppies today. And so they're here, uh, Blaze and Jasper. You guys going to come out here? Come say hi to everybody. Come on out here. Come here. Come here, Jasper. Come here, buddy. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Okay, okay. Sit. Sit. Oh, good boy. Sit. Sit, oh, I'm just tricking you. I don't have a thing today. Sorry. Come here, guys. Ooh. Ooh. Aren't these guys about the cutest things in the world? Now, I know some of you aren't dog people, and you're kind of like, okay, Sarah McLaughlin, get off the, get off the stage, right? The, that song that goes on for 27 minutes in that commercial about how bad dogs got it. Well, these little guys, they got it pretty good. And they love me all the time. I yelled at them a little bit today, got a little frustrated with them, and yet they still love me. So you guys say hi to everybody. Okay, thank you all. All right, go back here. Thank you, fellas. And they're totally obedient. They don't know where they're going, and so, all right, let me help you. Thank you. You're welcome. You got them? All righty. Whoa. She about drop them? Awesome. They're pretty tough dogs, pretty tough dogs. You know, in my family, you got to be pretty tough to live in my family. So anyway, we, we love those dogs. They're irresistible. And, and we're doing this series, um, I try to, to do some fun elements to it because it's kind of one of those series that we're moving from, you know, the, the, just the understanding about what God's done for us, which is awesome. I love, I love thinking about, I love talking about, I love dwelling on the fact that Christ loves me perfectly. That, that I'm blessed and highly favored, that I'm the head and not the tail, I'm above and not beneath, and all these amazing things that God has done for me. But sometimes when we start talking about some things that now that we're maturing and growing up that God wants us to do, we're a little less excited. Have you discovered that? You know, we, we, we like the fact of what God's doing for us, and, and we love being in a loving environment. We love the fact that God loves us unconditionally, but when we start understanding that we are the love and hope of Jesus Christ expressed to a world that needs to understand the love and hope of Jesus Christ, sometimes we're not quite as excited about hearing those kind of messages. And, and I get that. So if you don't amen me as much, I know you still agree with what I'm saying and still love me as your pastor, right? And, but it's just one of those things that I think it's important for us to understand because we're doing this series so...
Okay. So the, the, the love of God that's in us can get out of us and it can impact and change the world. Because we're always waiting for someone else to impact and change the world. You know, right? Every problem we have in our life, if someone would change, our life would be so much better. If my spouse would just be different, oh, man, my life would be better. You know, if my boss, if my boss would just kind of get some things figured out, my life would be so much better. If my kids, my kids that are driving me nuts, if they, if they would just understand some things I'm trying to say to them, my life would be so much better. As a pastor, the congregation that I speak to, if they would just understand some things, praise God, we could move forward in our relationship with God. And what I began to understand is that all of those things that are happening around me are just happening around me. They don't really happen to me until I allow them to happen to me. It doesn't mean that people, when they say ugly things to us, it doesn't kind of sting. But listen, we don't have to be bitter and angry for years over a comment. Again, trying to make light of action that took place in our life. And I'm not, again, trying to make light of anything that has happened to us. But we're responsible for us. And and I've got a a, a quote that I'd like to show you today. And it says this. I I, I said this a few weeks ago, but I want to say it again. If 11 men, I'm talking about the disciples of Jesus Christ... If 11 men could turn the world upside down in a positive way, what could happen if the church today did what the church did then? What was their guiding light? What was the focus of what was happening? What what was it that was happening within the church? And, And I'm not talking about little C like Amarillo Fellowship Church. I'm talking big C, the church, all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We are millions plus today. What would happen if we began to do what they did? Could we change the world again? See, a lot of times we begin to feel pretty hopeless that, yeah, it really isn't going to change. You know, it's just getting, it seems like it's becoming more worse all the time. Is it more worse or worser? Neither. It's becoming badder all the time. Let me just butcher the English language as much as I possibly can today. We, we just have this kind of mindset of we're just watching things happen and we keep watching bad things happen and we don't do what we can do, what we know to do to actually be a change agent about what is happening unless it's get on some social media thing and rail on somebody and say all kinds of ugly negative things rather than understanding that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Can I... I Pastor Richie, we kind of get that. We kind of know that. No, sometimes we just need to be reminded that we're not just Christians because we're Americans. We're, we're followers of Jesus Christ, meaning Jesus is always moving. God is always moving in the world. Because we have this tendency to think and get very stagnant in our relationship with God where we just kind of think, okay, I gave my life to Christ. I prayed that prayer. So, so God, just kind of go do your thing and, and kind of bless me. But we're actually followers. There's a next step that every one of us have. There's a, a next step that God wants us to grow and mature in becoming more like him. And when we become more like him, what begins to happen is the abundant life that I keep talking about begins to show up in our life. Amazing things begin to happen. All of a sudden, things that used to drive us nuts, suddenly now we're able to handle. 
Why is that? It's because the love of God and the peace of God and the patience of God that is inside of every child of God is now getting on the outside of us. They're followers of Jesus Christ. You see, here's what I think about the early church, why they were able to do it. It's because they, they recognized and understood the perfect love of God. They, they recognized how perfectly loving God was for them. They didn't just talk the talk. They walked the walk. And they had to because they were persecuted. And honestly, for us today, was the, as the society seems to have made this shift that we moved away from being a nation that is following after God, we can sit around and we can just kind of moan and complain about it, or we can say, these are going to be our best days. Because these are going to be the days when followers of Jesus Christ are going to stand up and say, listen, I am a child of God. I don't care if you think that's weird. I want you to know that I am a child of God and that God loves me perfectly and unconditionally. And whether you say nice things about me or bad things about me, I'm going to show you the love of God. Because you see, that's the litmus test for being a follower of Jesus. Good and amazing. But here's, read your Bible, pray, though all those things are good and amazing. But here's how God said it in John chapter 13. Jesus is talking, and this has been our theme verse for this series. It says, by this, it's a demonstrative pronoun. Y'all remember that? I didn't either. I had to look it up and remember it. But a demonstrative pronoun, meaning it's pointing to something in the sentence. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. You are a follower of Jesus Christ if you love one another. Now, this was new, and I want to remind you of something. I want to kind of real quickly review, so kind of get some of you up to speed, or since you slept over the last week, kind of get us back up to speed. It's important for us to remember that when Jesus came, he came as a bridge between the old covenant and the new covenant. He had come to fulfill the old and usher in the new. That's why when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said this in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Verse 38, he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. That came from the book of Deuteronomy. He was quoting, this is the first, is like it. I want to remind you, it's not second nine, and the second is like it. I want to remind you, it's not second in importance. It's only second in sequence. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He then concludes with this, that all the law and the prophets, that's what the way Jewish people looked at their scripture, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What Jesus was helping us understand is that when we love God and when we love other people, all the law and the commandments, all of Everything from the Old Covenant is, is, is showing up in an incredible way in our lives, showing that we love God and we love others is the greatest commandment. So he's showing us that our greatest expression of loving God in the vertical is really worked out through the horizontal way that we love other people. And, and then he redefines neighbor, that it wasn't just people who look, think, act, breathe, talk, smell like us. It was everybody. And last week when I was sharing this example and I was talking about it's people that have a different religious belief than you. Those are God's children. Really? Yes, those are God's children. It's, it's people that have a different political belief than you. And man, when I said that last week, I heard some of you, oh man, that one hurts. Because what has happened is the enemy has come in and he's caused division in our nation 
Listen, as a nation, there's more things we agree upon than we disagree upon. But what the enemy wants us to focus on is the things that we disagree on. Listen, I don't have any problem with us having conversations with people that we believe differently than them. That we explain our idea. But we need to do it in love. But we need to do it in love. But we need to do it in love. Amen? We need to express our opinions and our ideas in love. Which leads me to what I want to talk about today, Jesus' new command. In John chapter 13, Jesus is nearing the end of his mission here on earth. And so he calls the boys together, calls the disciples together and tells them, look, I'm not going to be with you much longer. And then he shares this in verse 34 of John 13. A new command I give you. Now, they needed a new command like they needed another hole in their head. Their 600-plus commands had already kept them plenty busy. Besides, Jesus had already condensed all of those commands to just two, giving them and love your neighbor. Other commands. Turns out Jesus wasn't giving them a command to add to all of their other commands. He was doing something far more radical. He was ushering in the new covenant. And so he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And in this verse, Jesus makes love a verb, as in, go over there and do something. Can you imagine Jesus as a marriage counselor? You come in, you're griping and complaining, and he just says, go home and love one another. Well, Pastor Richie, that doesn't really work. Yes, it does. If we, action-wise, love people, love the feeling begins to show up. And when you put people that are around you, in front of you, you begin to prefer them, things begin to change. Most of you have been married long enough, been in relationships long enough to know you cannot change anybody else. And if you still think you can, I'd like to talk to you at the end of the service today. You can't. But you know what you can change is you can change you. And when you love and prefer your spouse, it changes them. When you love and, and show love, express love, do love, not just, well, I've got this love in my heart for you, but it's kind of hidden. It's, it's just in here. Just, just trust me. I love you. Look, don't like you very much, but, but I love you. So you're, you're not really going to see any way that I love you, but just trust me. I love you. How many of you like to be loved like that? None of us, but when, one person. All right. But when we, when we love... We love other people. I want to talk to you after the service too. When, when we love people with, with actions, by being kind, by giving, by serving, it changes things. The environment begins to change. Our, our life begins to change. So, so Jesus is bringing this word love as a verb. It's an action. It's something weird. God is expecting us to do. So listen, if you're sneaking in on Sunday, sitting and enjoying the service, sneaking out, not doing anything, God wants you to express love. That's why we do the growth track. Come on, let me step on your toes just a little bit more today. That's why we do the growth track, so that you can discover your purpose, so that you can know our purpose, and so that together we can fulfill the purposes of God on the face of the earth by loving on people. Christianity has never been designed to be a spectator sport. But we got lots of people in the stands and only a few people on the field. We're trying to get the people out of the stands and onto the field. Come on, preach it, Pastor Richie. So, so Jesus is telling us to go over and do something. As it turns out, he wasn't finished. 
Pastor Reggie, that's too much already. Listen, he wasn't finished. He takes it a step further. And, he, and it turns out that what came next changed the world. I'll just say this too. If you and I will put it at the top of our priority list, you and I can change the world again. Because he concludes that verse with this. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. This was new. Listen, loving others the way that others loved you was so old covenant. In fact, that's what we do. That's, that's our understanding of love is the way that others have loved us. In, in fact, when I talk about the love of God, what most people immediately equate when I say he's a loving heavenly father is you think about your father in, in his mistakes and in his failures. Because listen, no matter how good our parents were, they still had some conditional love from time to time. And we, we get our minds around thinking that's what love is, is the way other people have loved us. That's what love is. So I'll love you if you'll love me. But the moment you stop showing love to me, I'm out. Or the moment I think you're, you're, you're not showing love to me, I'm out. So loving others as they loved you was so old covenant. It was the golden rule, but Jesus is ushering in the platinum rule. And he's saying this, the love, this love was anchored in Jesus. So when Jesus said, as I have loved you, what we have a tendency to think of is the cross. Right? We think of the cross, well, what Jesus was going to do. Listen, these men didn't. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. What they thought of is over the last three years, how perfectly Jesus had loved them. That he loved them in their best moments when, they, when Peter proclaimed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he loved them in their worst moments when Peter began to say, No, no, Lord, you are not going to go to the cross. And Jesus had to say, Get thee behind me, Satan, because you don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. God loved him perfectly all the time. For most of us, we would have kicked Peter out, right? Peter was the guy that if his foot was ever out of its mouth, it's only because the other one was on its way in. It was, he's the one that denied the Lord. What would you and I do if we were Jesus with Peter? We just said, you're out. Look, man, strike three. Or actually, like, strike 700. Right? You've, you've said too many wrong things. What did Jesus do? He put him in charge of his church. He let him preach the first message on the day of Pentecost. So they, they were recognizing that Jesus had loved them perfectly over the last three years. And then he could have added this, listen boys, if you think that I've loved you up to this point, you better buckle up your sandals because you haven't seen anything yet. See, as the hinge between the two covenants, and it's so important we kind of, I know this is kind of meaty, but it's so important we understand what Jesus came to do because sometimes we just think Old Testament, New Testament, okay, great. But as the hinge between the two commandments, Jesus had to lay some groundwork between the commandments. And, and sharing his greatest commandments formula of loving God and loving others wasn't just brilliant. It was very strategic because it, just as the Old Covenant had instructions for the nation of Israel to live by, the new covenant had instructions for his followers to live by as well. But they weren't going to be engraved on stone. They would be engraved in the hearts and the lives of men. And they were, those were able, it was able to happen. Why? Because they weren't a they. It wasn't 600 things that we had to remember. It was just the one. It was an it. In the new covenant, there's just one commandment. 
doesn't sound very commanding, does it? Just the one commandment. But the significance of what Jesus is about ready to say, and it's the verse we've been looking at, cannot be overstated. As circumcision, check this out, as circumcision was the distinguishing mark of the old covenant, this love one another brand of love would be the distinguishing mark of Christ followers. The loving others as I have loved you would be the guiding principle for every one of us that are followers of Jesus Christ. That's why he said in our theme verse in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you are my followers, that you are after me, if you love one another. Jesus pointed to the one thing that would be a defining characteristic of Christ followers. And again, it wasn't the way we dressed. It wasn't how polite we were when we were driving. Though those things are important to dress and be polite while you're driving. But it would be the way they loved. See, Jesus didn't want their belief to be something just that they understood. He wanted their belief to be something that they did. He wanted them to love, specifically loving those around him. The way that we loved, the way that we love was the proof of our discipleship of being a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you this this morning. If you and I, if we were put on trial for being a follower of Jesus Christ, based on what I've been teaching over the last couple of weeks, would there be enough evidence to convict you or to convict me of being a follower of Jesus Christ? In other words, is there enough action, love in our lives that people, we wouldn't have a hung jury? There wouldn't be half the people going, well, you know, they're kind of a nice person. The other person, well, they're really not that nice. Or would it be, man, I, I know this person is because they've loved me. When, when everyone else in the office turned on me, when, when, when I hadn't quite measured up and done all the right things and, and everyone else was saying negative things about me, they were the one that came up and prayed for me. They were the one that embraced me and loved on me and said, listen, man, there's more in you than what you're doing right now. God's got a great plan for your life. God's got a great destiny for your life. Would there be enough evidence? It's kind of a sobering thought for you and I to think about. Because again, especially if we just kind of want to do this Christianity as, you know, hey God, just, just do things for me. And I just want to soak and do things and receive things and, and all that stuff. Rather than really understanding, there's, there's a, a responsibility that God has put on us. And, and I would say this related to this. If, if I'm stepping on your toes, I'd like to say I'm sorry, but I'm actually not. Because I love you all too much to let you kind of settle where you're at. But look, if, if what I'm talking about, you don't really care, hey, I, I don't really care. I would honestly do some soul searching of whether or not you've ever really received Christ into your life. Because you see, when the love of God is in us, it starts compelling us to do things. And we're not perfect and that's not the goal or the, the situation of what we're trying to move towards is being perfect all the time of always, hey, ah, how's it going? Great to see you. Hey. That kind of a deal. But that, I don't know if that's your example of perfect, but that was mine in the moment. <laughs> but it's the fact that we are continually following after, taking our next step, growing and becoming more like Jesus. So first of all, I would search my heart. The second thing I would do is maybe recognize, you know what? I thought I was a mature Christian because I've been saved now for six years. But I recognize what I really want is I just want my bottle all the time. 
I want someone to feed me. I want someone to take care of me. I want someone to do this for me and that for me rather than really saying, God, you've done so much for me. Let me do something for you. You know, my little grandbaby, did I mention I'm a papa yet to y'all? Okay. I'm going to work her into as many illustrations as I possibly can. You know what? When I, when I hold that little five-pound, 10-ounce baby in my hands, she does absolutely nothing for me from a, from a doing something for me. Now, she does something for me for me. But she can't jump up and say, hey, Papa, can I get you some tea? She doesn't. But you know what? I don't expect her to when she's there. But as she grows and matures and she begins to receive love from her papa and her mom and dad, they're kind of important, from, from honey and different family members, you know, we're expecting her to pour love out too. Why? So that, so that because we're just doing this so she'll do something? No, because it's part of the maturing process. You start recognizing that people are thankful, that people understand things, that people get things when they start responding to what has been done to them and for them. So that's what God's looking for us is to, to mature, to express love, to show love, to be love. And listen, when you, when you blow it, not if, but when, because we're going to all blow it, just apologize. Say, you know what? I didn't handle that right. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have acted that way. I apologize. Would you forgive me? You'd be surprised how far something like that goes towards you building a relationship with somebody else. But there's something else we may not recognize that was different in the new covenant from the old covenant. In that Jesus didn't attach his new commandment to everything the old covenant commandments were attached to. Fear of, love for, dedication to God. Now, all those things again are important. But Jesus attached his new command, and this is important, to himself. He attached it to the way that he loved, showing us again this subtle shift from vertical focused all the time. God, it's just about me and you, me and you, me and you, to a horizontal focus. about It's about other people that God's bringing into our life. See, Jesus was moving away from the ritualistic, don't forget your goat, festival-driven worship to a somewhat distant God. In the, in the new covenant, followers of Christ wouldn't be looking for ways to get closer to God who dwelt out there. They demonstrate their love for God by putting the person that is next to them in front of them. Can you imagine living in a world where everybody preferred one another? Try to wrap your mind around that just for a moment. And I know some of you can because some of you have had some people in your life that have done that. I can, I can understand it because I had a mom that preferred me. That when I was in my best moments, she spoke to the destiny on my life. When I was in my worst moments, she spoke to the destiny in my life. Can you imagine that kind of a place? They, they wouldn't look up anymore. They would start looking around. And Jesus didn't demand their allegiance or obedience according to his divine right as king. Notice that Jesus didn't play the God card. He didn't say, look, I'm God, y'all do this. No, he said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In his if final, if you forget everything else I've said, remember this exchange, Jesus leveraged his example. He leveraged the way that he loved us. I want to I want to show you this quote from the book because I think it's so good. Jesus' love for the men in the room 
rather than his authority over the men in the room is what he used to instruct and inspire the men in the room. And can I tell you that he does the same thing with you and I? Jesus' love for us rather than his authority over us is what he uses to instruct and inspire us to follow after him. See, Jesus wouldn't express his love for them by sitting on a heavenly throne. He would express his love for them by hanging on an old rugged cross. And it was his gory and gritty sacrifice that would compel his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. That should stop us dead in our tracks. It should stop every one of us to remember, especially as we approach Easter two weeks away, to be reminded once again of the price that Christ paid. That we could be forgiven of our sins. That we could go to heaven. But not only that, that you and I could live an abundant life. That you and I could be filled with peace and life. That eternal life dwells on the inside of us. And sometimes we're keeping the eternal life on the inside of us rather than letting the eternal life flow out of us and change the world that God's placed us in. Because you see, it would be years later that it would stop Paul in his tracks and he would pin this in Philippians chapter 2. He says this, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. He's reminding us, listen, in our relationship with one another, we are to love one another as Christ loved us. Watch it goes on. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Again, he didn't play the God card. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And listen, it wasn't just any death. It was the, the bloodiest, goriest possible death possible, even death on a cross. Again, he didn't leverage his equality with God to stir us to action, but he leveraged his love. Again, this was so different than the old covenant. This was brand new. He didn't anchor his new commandment into his divine right as a king. He anchored it in his sacrificial love. He was asking his disciples to love one another because he had loved them first. Because he had loved them best because he had loved them unconditionally hours later he would stage a demonstration of his love for others by that something by doing something that would take everyone's breath away including his own it took the disciples excuses away too and just so you know for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ and again I'm really talking about people that are following after God it takes away our excuses too It doesn't. So again, here's what he says in John 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you're following after me if you love one another. This new commandment by Jesus was the governing ethic of his new movement. It was more simple, but all-encompassing. Far less complicated, but far more demanding. And what we read and learn throughout the rest of the New Testament are just applications of this new commandment. There are instructions, a guidebook, if you will, a a template that we look at to understand how we're supposed to be. So when we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we see that love is patient and we're becoming impatient, we don't beat ourselves up going, oh, I just can never be patient. I just can't ever do it. 
But nor do we justify and go, well, I'm, I'm just an impatient person. You're just going to have to learn how to live with it. We recognize, look, I'm, I'm being impatient. I can adjust my behavior. I can change this about me. I mentioned it earlier, the dogs this morning, that it was just one of those mornings where they peed on the floor. And, you know, you, you kind of think, hey, we've, we've talked about this, right? You know, we, we go out potty. You get a treat, you know, when we go outside. And they potted on the floor. They, I would say, hey, come on, let's go. And they're running. I'm chasing them all over the house. And, you know, in, in, on Sunday mornings, my, my life is pretty hectic and scheduled. I mean, it, it's a pretty intense morning. So I'm getting a little frustrated. All right? I know this isn't going to speak to any of you, but just a couple of you that it might speak to today. I'm beginning to get really frustrated, and I'm starting to get impatient. And as I'm getting more and more impatient, I suddenly caught myself and said, you know what? I'm in charge of me. I'm in charge of me. I don't have to be impatient. I, I can make a choice right now to stop being impatient. It doesn't mean that the moment I said that all the feelings left, I'm like, oh, now I feel good. I just simply made a choice to do the right behavior. And so when I'd been talking intensely to the dogs, a.k.a. yelling at them, all right, I suddenly now backed up and said, okay, they're puppies, right? They're puppies for goodness sake. They don't, they don't know what's going on. And we, we look at that and we think, of course, Richie, they're puppies. Come on, give them a break. And yet we know people that are not followers of Jesus Christ that are in the darkness and we're surprised when darkness flows out of them. And we get angry with them, we get frustrated with them because they're not perfect, because they haven't arrived. And yet if we'll just take a moment to remind ourselves, we haven't arrived yet, ourselves. We're not perfect yet, ourselves. It empowers us to be patient with one another. So we look at the Word of God and we say, okay, that's what it means to be loving, to be patient, to be kind, to be forgiving, to prefer others to put the people around you ahead of you. I wish I could tell you it was easy. I wish I could, we could all take the green pill and from the green pill we'd all go, oh, now we're loving. It's simply a choice that you make moment by moment every day of your life. We never arrive at this place where, oh, I now got it. I now have arrived, but we have to constantly make adjustments. So whether the Bible says anything specific about a particular behavior, the guiding question for our lives is no longer, what does the Bible say about blank? Which we're basically asking so that we can figure out how close to the not okay line we can get and still be okay. Nor is it about, oh God, it's just about me and you and me and you being alone. But the guiding question is, how does this affect other people? How does my behavior, how does what I'm about ready to say, how is it going to affect people in my life? So let me close with this question. Got it up here on the screen. It's what I started off with today. What could happen if the church today did what the church did then? What could happen? We have about seven or 800 people in our congregation. It's a few more than 11. What could happen if the church today did what the church did then? What would happen if you and I had a quiet time every morning with the Lord, not because we knew it was going to be a checkbox that if we do this, okay, God's going to love us and God's going to bless us for the day, but it was simply a realignment, a refocus of our life to remind ourselves how perfectly God loves us. 
that we got alone with God and we just spent some time with him and we just thanked him that he died on the cross for us, that he's provided this amazing life that you and I get to walk in. And we recalibrated our thinking every day. Listen, we can make Christianity irresistible again if what's important to God becomes important to you and I. Here's probably the better question that I'd like to close with today. It's my second closing. Those of you that are counting. What would you be willing to do to make Christianity irresistible once again? What would you be willing to do? Would you be willing to intentionally again receive God's daily dose of his love? To receive the abundance of grace that he has for you and the gift of righteousness? And instead of waiting for someone else to do something, what if you pointed yourself as a committee of one to say, I don't care whatever other people are going to do around me. I don't care how unkind, how unloving they may be. I'm going to choose to love others, even if they don't earn it, even if they don't deserve it. Listen, we could create an irresistible environment. We could create an irresistible movement that could change the world. Most powerful, love is the most powerful force in the universe. If you and I will simply put legs to the love that God's put inside of us. 